0: We're in our fifth week of studying 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and our fourth week looking at verse 14 where we have kind of been slowed down a little bit, paused. Uh, verse 14, 7th chapter, familiar verse to us. And my people who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land this verse is familiar to many people Uh, it's something that we we look at and we think about Um, what we've been looking at is what it says to us in 2020 and um, we're going to continue that let's pray and we'll continue our look father thank you for your word to us and again uh, to us help us to see and understand um, what your word means for us here and now Not only the kind of people we should be, but the way in which we should live, the attitudes in which we should have, and uh, the guidance which we clearly need from you. So teach us today from your word, your truth, make it real, apply it. You know the needs of everyone here better than I do, better than I ever could. Uh, So I pray that you would help them to see how you are touching and meeting the needs that they're facing, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I think this verse has a lot to say to us today. Uh, it was written thousands of years ago. Now that only makes it old, not out of date. There's a difference between old and out of date. Uh, water's old, not really out of date. There is. It? It's kind of a handy thing to have around. But uh, you know, the, the Word of God. This here, it's an old verse, but it's certainly not out of date. The verse was written to give direction to god's people you see there he says you know of my people my people that's who he's talking about here uh, originally that meant to israel the nation that was known as god's people and originally that's who this is addressed to uh, today and i believe it applies to all those with a relationship with god in any nation no matter what nation they are uh, because when we come into a relationship with god through faith in christ we are god's people it says that when, you know, when, we come to, when we come to God through Christ, we are adopted as sons. We are part of his family. So when he's talking about my people, I think it applies to us just as much as it did to Israel. Now, in, in a different context, certainly, but the reality of what he is saying uh, applies to us just as much. Uh, now, we, we do need to exercise caution here because God is not looking for a more religious country you need to understand that Israel was a country uh, as well as a a a, a race a a, a group of people but God doesn't want a more religious country what he wants is more uh, a more holy a more serious a more committed people that is really what God is looking for now you know, people who put him first, that's what he's looking for. People who put him first and who are actively living for him. Not in word only, but also in how they how they behave, how they live out their everyday life. People whose commitment to him affects and directs that daily living. This is what God's looking for. People who are so committed to him that it's going to affect their daily living, it's going to direct their daily living People who stand out for him, first of all, by the way they live. This is what he's talking to when he's talking about my people here. And when God's people begin to live more and more like God's people, it will result in a better country. But that's not the goal. The goal is not a better country. The goal is more godly people. Let me put this two ways. The goal is his people being more godly, which will resort in more godly people, an increased number of godly people. And as that happens, a country will change, a nation will change, a nation will turn around. It doesn't matter who you elect, it matters who you serve. Do you understand that? I'm not saying a leader is unimportant what i'm saying is it matters who you serve and if god's people begin serving god it will change things around one of the things we hear coming out of china is how how the church has grown and how they have not had godly leaders they've had quite the opposite what he's talking about here you know is is the reality of god's people living for God. And when God's people begin living for God, a nation will change. A nation will be turned around. You know, we can lament and say, you know, people used to refer to the United States as a, as a Christian nation, and you can debate whether it is or isn't now. The reality is, if God's people, who are called by His name, will humble themselves, pray, seek his face and turn from their wicked way it will turn this nation around that's just a reality of 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 life we're called to live for God and by living by, by living God's standards not not living acceptable practices of the masses it's it's not living by you know by what everyone else it really doesn't matter what other people are doing you know or how many other people are doing something your parents were right it doesn't matter what so-and-so is doing you're called to be this and that's exactly what he's telling us here it doesn't matter how many other you know how many other people are doing something we are called to be God's people we are called to be his people if my people he says we're we're really we're called to turn and turning—that's a complete change of direction, away from sin, and instead facing toward God. You know, it, it's an about-face in military language. You know that you, you make that turn, and, and you turn, and, and you are facing a total different direction. You are you are living in a total different way. You know you pursue your relationship with God. You seek His face. Two weeks ago, we talked about that. You know, if they turn, if they seek My face, turn from what? Most translations here have have wicked ways. Uh, the m- word is most awful, often translated evil in the King James version. 442 times, that word is is translated evil. It's uh, translated wicked 25 times. Wickedness 59 times. Uh, you know w- what's the point here? Well, for us, I don't know. I, sometimes I think wickedness seems to come across uh, stronger, maybe more descriptive than evil. And it can, I think we can, might be misled. I think evil's a good choice, uh, because I think evil is anything that's opposed to God. Anything that is opposed to God. Opposed to God, opposed to His Word, His being, His attributes. Anything opposed to God is evil. It doesn't have to be this big, horrible thing. We need to get a hold of that. It doesn't have to be a big, horrible thing. Little things that go against God are, are equally as horrible. We may not be as horrified by them, but that doesn't change the reality, you know, that it's sin against God. Anything, you know, anything that, that goes against God, that's opposed to God in any way, you know, is, is evil. You can't excuse it. You shouldn't accept it. You know, you certainly shouldn't live it. You certainly shouldn't be living those things that go against what God says. You know, this verse, this verse here in Second Chronicles, it's a great verse to explain repentance. You know, turning from evil ways and turning to God in practice, in our living, in our motivating allegiances. Those things which which prompt which prompt the, the actions in which we do from the way you drive a car all the way to the way you talk to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your family. What is it that's motivating those things? It's evil. When he talks about turning from evil, it's evil as defined and measured by God, not by society, not by a culture, not by man, but by God. Evil as defined by God see, repentance, it affects our head, it transforms our heart, and it works out in our living. It has to work out in our living. If you're not grasping it in your head, if it's not transforming what drives you, if it's not changing your living, you know, the things you're living for, the way that you're living, then I think you've missed repentance. And I think you've, you've missed the reality of what it says. Uh, that's really the picture of this verse turn from anything that turns you from god turn away from anything that is turning you away from god anything anything that is turning you away from god i was over uh at marcy and andy's watching uh andy had to work and marcy was working and so i was hanging out with the boys and um, one of my favorite things that happened that day, um, Michael and Luke went out with their friends, and so just Ryan and I were in the house. He went up to his room and he got out this huge thing of Legos, and he asked me if I'd bring it downstairs. I brought it downstairs and set it in the in the playroom there, and I was sitting at the kitchen table uh, reading that uh, Meek-, Meek and Lowly. Gentle and lowly. Reading gentle, that part of that gentle and lowly. And I was sitting at the table reading that. And then I noticed, uh, Ryan's in the other room singing. While he's building his Legos. You know, and, and he's singing. And I thought, what, what a great thing. I remember, I remember when, um, you know, just those songs that come to mind when you're doing other things. And I remember when God really got my attention with that. Uh, you know I was at Moody Bible Institute I was you know I was a student there Um, I was walking through that they had tunnels they still do they have tunnels that connect their buildings because there's nothing like running walking between those buildings on a winter day you know with the wind whipping through Chicago and and your coats not with you but somewhere else you know so they have tunnels that connect all these buildings and I was walking down this tunnel and I'm kinda humming a song to myself and then it just kind of, you know, it's like God tapped me on the shoulder. What are you humming? I was I was humming a Led Zeppelin song. Okay, if you're not familiar with Led Zeppelin, don't go and look it up. Uh, just please don't do that. Uh, they have some of the filthiest lyrics. Uh, you know the the things their songs are about some of the filthiest lyrics and I thought Lord well you see because that's what I was listening to as I was go. I was listening to you know the popular radio stations as I was going back and forth you know to <laughs> to Moody every day and then it was like you know Lord the Lord just told me here's something you need to change buddy because it's turning you if this is what you're thinking about in other times, it's turning you away from me. At that point, I had found, well, contemporary Christian music wasn't wasn't real exciting at that time. You can only sing Kumbaya so many times. And, um, and you know, there weren't a whole lot. I, I, I can make all these excuses, but you see, the reality was I realized then that that was turning me away from God, and I didn't want that. You know, so I, I changed. I turned away from what was turning me away from God. We need to do that. You know, we, we need to, we need to have, uh, get to that place where we will do that. You know, turn, turning from evil is essential for those who have a relationship with God. It's not optional. It's essential for those who have a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, you need to turn from evil. You know, turn from your evil ways, it says. Cease sin. Terminate activities that go against God. Eliminate anything anything that brings you away from god proverbs chapter 28 it says the one who conceals his sin will not prosper but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy you know it's not notice it's not just confessing there but it's confessing and renouncing forsaking them choosing a new way of living choosing a new way of living one without the sin that you have turned from Whatever it is that's turning you away from God, when you turn from that, then you begin this new way of living without whatever it is that turns you away from God. You know, to to, to see, notice what it says here, you know, the one who conceals his sin will not prosper. To see and to know sin that you're involved in and, and not to turn from it is foolish insanity. It's crazy why would you continue to do that one of the things i really don't get i I don't know why anyone smokes anymore but doctors that smoke and i'm thinking my goodness you take care of people you know and uh and and it's like how how can we not connect the dots and then i have to ask myself lord is there something in my life is there something in my life that is that obvious to other people, but I'm overlooking it. You know, we, we need to we need to be careful about this. When, when I think of of turning from sin, Psalm 32 comes to mind. Turn to Psalm 32. What we're going to do? We're going to walk through this quickly. And so, if you have it open before you, then you'll be able to to, to follow along as I'm reading. We're going to read a little bit and, and just. Uh, uh, Explain, expand on that, uh, on some of the verses. Just share with you how it how it kind of has impacted me, and uh, we're going to go on. Uh, this Psalm Psalm thirty two is it's said to be the expression of David's repentance that was brought about when Nathan, uh, the prophet, confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba, and his murder of her husband Uriah. Um, you know, if, if you recall the the story, David was out on his rooftop and he did a little more than gazed at uh, Bathsheba while she was uh, bathing and um, sent for her and slept with her and then uh, she got pregnant and he you know continued stupidity and uh, set her husband Uriah up to be killed in in battle and so this is, this is the, this is said to be the response after Nathan confronted him. Now notice how the Psalm starts. It starts with the result, really. It starts with the result of turning from your evil ways, with the end. Look what it says. Verse one. How joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now some translations there have how, how blessed um, you know that that you know have, have blessed is the one, or how blessed is the one? The word means happiness or or blessedness. Uh, how blessed, how happy, how joyful? Those are those are all good translations. The point is, it's a good thing to be forgiven. It's a good thing to be forgiven. Being forgiven brings joy. It takes a load off of us. Now we're getting a little bit ahead because that touched on in in the verses to come. But it takes a load off of us. The one who comes to God for cleansing of sins, for forgiveness, it says, will be joyful, blessed, happy. The picture is one who is someone who is totally clean before God. The man the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit is no deceit, in whose spirit is no deceit. You see, sin is more than an outward expression. It's more than outward actions. Jesus made that very clear. In Matthew 5, he says, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her wife. Where? In his heart. Sin begins on the inside long before it's ever expressed through our actions. I th- have to ask myself, what was going through David's mind when he was standing there and he thought that he could just, uh, he, that he could just have this woman for himself and that wasn't his wife. You know, uh, somebody doesn't just go out one day and all of a sudden, pooh, I think I'll commit adultery. That isn't it. You see, it's, it, it's what goes on beforehand that, that makes, that brings that about. It's what goes, so here's the scary part for you. It's what goes on beforehand in your life. That makes you speak rudely, destructively, angrily to your neighbor, to your spouse, to your children, to your coworker. It's what goes on in our heart beforehand. You know, this is, this is what he's talking about here. You know, that it's what goes on in our hearts. Sin begins on the inside. It's not enough to be squeaky clean in our actions. You know, it also takes, it's also important to have a clean heart as well. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a great spirit within me. Renew me, change me from the inside out, what we've been singing. Uh, Psalm 139, just great verse, uh, great uh, chapter of psalms read it sometimes and talks about how we're fearfully wonderfully made and the way god has and then he ends that he says search me oh god search me know what my heart try me know my thoughts see if there is any wicked way in me in me anything that is not pleasing to you and then lead me in the way everlasting In in Psalm 32 here, he says, In whose spirit is no deceit. It means no known sin, no known attitudes, no known motives, no known desire, nothing that has not been brought under the cleansing power and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That, that that we bring everything to him. Deceit, when he says, in my heart, no deceit. Deceit is willfully ignoring or willfully hiding. Hiding or ignoring. The ignoring part, you know, I, I think we overlooked that. Ignoring any sin that you know about in your life instead of dealing with it. Instead of bringing it to God, ignoring it as if it's okay. And it, Common male trait, and women, if you haven't realized this, you need to common male trait is, you know, you tell us something's wrong, and um, we heard you. But you see, if we ignore it, that's okay too. You know, if we ignore it, we figure that's fixed or it's going to get fixed, you see. But we can all fall into that place where we begin to ignore things we shouldn't, where we begin to ignore some of the sin. And deceit is willfully hiding or ignoring that. When we bring our sin to God, he, he's, he's faithful, just. It says, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful, righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to be looking at forgiveness in the weeks to come a little bit as we finish going through this verse here. But when we don't confess our... Realize this. When you don't confess your sin to God, as it says here, then what we're telling Him is, I'll handle this. I'll handle this myself, God. When we're not confessing it to Him, we tell Him, you know, I'll handle this sin myself. And I'm telling you, that is draining. Look at verse 3 and 4 in Psalm 32, and it gets into this whole inner turmoil, the physical effects of unconfessed sin. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was drained as in the heat of summer. You know, it's a, you see the word Selah there and um, you know it's not just a musical group uh, it's a musical term and you know it, they feel it, it means that it's kind of a pause or a rest and I, I, every time I come to that I just kind of like a, I, I think of a pause or a rest reflect on what was just said you know when I kept silent my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy on me my strength was drained as in the summer's heat do you realize what physical toll sin takes on people and hiding sin? You know, people get ulcers, headaches, depression, all other problems caused by the tension of trying to bear the burden of our sin. When we were in Chicago, when we were living in Chicago, we had a young man in our church who um, was a very good baseball player. And um, he, in fact, he was on, he was drafted, he was drafted. And was in the minor leagues for a while but at any rate um, he when he just got old enough to to, to drive he got his license and um, he had his dad's car now with his dad's permission it's, he didn't sneak the car out or anything um, he his dad was at work and you know it let him use the car he put a little dent in his dad's car and it went from uh, the front bumper all the way down the side to the back bumper um <laughs> Uh... It, it. He was shook about it. You know, he was nervous. I mean, to the point he, he he gets he gets out a rubber mallet and tries to trying to bang out this dent. You know, that goes from bumper to bumper and stuff. And it just wasn't going to happen. I mean, he was so shook about the whole thing. He and he had to go to his baseball game that night before his dad came home from work, so he didn't get a chance to settle it with his dad. Well, he's pitching in the game, you know, and is he's pitching in the game, and then his dad shows up at the game, and you know, then he he sees that what's going on, and he's throwing a pitch and as he throws the pitch his back locked up he can't even straighten up and so they take him to the er bent over like this even at the emergency room as they were, be you know as they were trying to get this relieved and stuff and they no matter what they were doing it didn't seem that they could you know it just wasn't relieving it and, and couldn't you know, couldn't straighten up and then he, you know, he, his dad was there, so he's talking to his dad and telling his dad about the accident and what happened and stuff. And, you know, and his dad said, it was an accident, man. You know, Jack, it was an accident. Don't worry about it. His back started to ease up. And he was able, you know, he was able to, to then straighten up. You know, but that tension, all of, all of that, just that, that, that anticipation, until he, could, until he could get things right with his father. It's draining to bury your own sin. It takes a toll. Verse 4 says, my strength was drained as in summer's heat. The hottest place I've ever been, when I was at, at a student at Moody, I worked at Sippy Metals. Sippy, I told you about this place before. Um, they took and scrap uh, precious and semi-precious metals is all they dealt in. And you know brass bronze, and then all the way through gold, platinum, all this other stuff and so the one in the in the um, in the precious metals section, we used to burn computer parts uh, and you get the gold off of them, and you burn these semi loads of computer parts, and you get just... this anyway uh, so in they have what that 's in there that 's the precious metals. They had the crucible rooms, and a crucible room was—it uh, could be, you know, like maybe half the size of, uh, of this platform area, but not a real high ceiling. And they would melt—they would melt things down uh, for gold. Gold melts at uh, one thousand nine hundred sixty-eight degrees. One thousand nine hundred forty-eight degrees. That's twenty degrees off. Uh, so anyway, so they, what it is is there's a crucible that's about this big around and about this tall, and it's got the gold in there. And it's inside of another container, and they have gas and oxygen that blows around it to really kick up the heat. And then it's inside this room, which is super insulated. The thing that tips the crucible, the mechanism that tips the crucible, broke you got to fix it. I was doing the millwright work. It fell to me to fix that thing. They had to keep they had to keep the gold hot because they needed to keep it liquid. I don't know what the temperature was in that room. It wasn't a thousand degrees because I wouldn't be here talking to you. Um, but I put on all of that. You put on all of these heavy clothes. And, you know, insulated clothing and and heavy gloves and a hood and, and all this stuff. And you put it on and you go in there and work. I could only stay in there 10 or 15 minutes. And you got to come out. It was just sucking the life out of me. I mean, it was like, uh, I, I, it's like you come out and, you know, you're like a puddle. I mean, not only are you dripping wet, but you, that's what you feel like too, Yeah. You don't have to be in a crucible room to know what it's like to work in a summer heat. And how it can drain you. And the hotter it is, it seems the faster it drains you. My strength was drained as in summer's heat. We need to deal with sin, not ignore it. We need to take it to God. Verse 5. It says, then I acknowledge my sin to you. And did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you took away the guilt of my sin. There's that word Selah again. Ah, think, think about that. Think about that. You need to understand guilt is more than a feeling. Guilt is a fact. Whether you feel guilty or not, guilt is a fact. Uh, not not just this past week, but the week before when I was on vacation, Ginny and I uh, took uh, Michael, Luke, and uh, Ryan up to Chicago. They were on spring break. Ginny was on spring break, and yeah, so and I was on vacation. So we took a few days and we went up to Chicago. We took them around, and we were showing them different... What did I say? Oh, fall break. Yeah, fall break. Um, can't wait for spring break. Anyway, uh, fall break. <laughs> uh and, and so we took them around and we showed them different things you know from we showed them where you know grandma used to work and the train that she took down there you know and uh, we didn't go by moody i guess we we probably should have but anyway we took them to different places you know where we had been before and you know where their parents i, I used to take their i used to take um, their, you know their mom and and aunt and uncle to Lincoln Park Zoo every every a year before the day before school started that was what, that was the thing we would do, because Lincoln Park Zoo was free. And at that time, parking was cheaper. And not so much anymore. Anyway, um, so we went to Lincoln Park Zoo, you know, we're showing them all this stuff, and one of the, one of the things Ginny and I were reminiscing about as we were driving down Lakeshore Drive, um, uh, uh, second date, I guess it was, uh, that our first date was kind of a spur of the moment, unplanned thing. Our second date was, hey, let's go to the museum tomorrow. So that's what we did. We went down to Museum of Science and Industry and we're driving back down Lakeshore Drive and um, it, as we're getting to Lakeshore Drive, I, I said to Ginny, I, I said, here's, uh, well, actually we got off on Stony, but anyway, here's the place where I, I, I blew a red light. Not intentionally, I just wasn't paying attention. And uh, it it happens to be a part where the commuter train goes through. So I blew two red lights and ran across the the railroad tracks, you know, in in, in Chicago traffic. And and what a thing. But another thing we did while we were there on Lakeshore Drive, we're driving down Lakeshore Drive, and we passed up the place where um, I got pulled over 48 years ago. Uh, Jenny and I had just been dating about a month, she made a trip to Texas, it was a planned trip. She and a, and a girlfriend went to Texas and were there for a week. I went and picked them up at Union Station in Chicago, and then we, you know, as we're leaving Union Station, we're, we're, you know, we're driving down an LSD, that's Lakeshore Drive, not drugs. I don't know what you people are thinking. Uh, so we're, we're driving down, and I said you know, in the car, there was four of us in the car, Ginny and I and uh, you know her girlfriend and, and her brother, who was my friend, and I said, does anybody know the speed limit? And everybody said no. Well, then there was a guy behind me who did know the speed limit, and he's very nice. He pulled me over, and he told me what the speed limit was and gave me a ticket. I did not feel guilty. I didn't know what the speed limit was. It's not like I was going 80 I think I was going 55 or something, the speed limit was 45. I didn't know that. But when I was presented with the facts and the reality of what it was, I was guilty. You see, guilt, guilt is a fact. Whether you feel guilty or not is totally irrelevant. It's not your feelings, it's the fact of guilt that we have to deal with. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time that you may be found. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You know, God wants us to be forgiven. He wants us to be forgiven and functional, not dirty and drained. He wants us you know, to be, we should turn to God as soon as we see sin in our life. You, you, you know, there, before we're so deep in sin that we shut God out. That's a frightening place to be. So deep in sin that you shut God out. When we confess, when we turn to God from our evil ways, then God is our place of refuge, our place of protection. Verse 7, notice what it says, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. And then I, uh, there it is, think about that. You see, when, when we come to him and acknowledge our sin, confess our sin, that we no longer want to handle this ourselves. Lord, I don't want to handle this myself anymore, then he becomes our hiding place. He becomes our protector once again. Now, I say our protector once again because here's the deal. You've heard me say it before. I hope you never forget this. God will never help you sin. Get that in your head. He will never help you sin. You know, if speeding down the road and thinking, Lord, I'm late. Please help me get there. No, leave on time next time, you know. God is not going to help you sin, whether it's speeding, whether it's anything else. God is not going to help you sin. You are on your own when you're sinning. You're not going to get help from him to go against him. He is not going to help you destroy yourself. You know, he becomes our protector once again. On your own is not the place you want to be. It's not the state you want to be in. And look at verse 8 and 9. It seems like God's reply, maybe some of what David learned you know, going through all of this. Verse 8, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. Uh, with my eyes on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. you know, they, what I get out is help others learn from your experience is help others learn from your experience. Help them not to make the same mistakes that you did. Help them avoid sin. You know, one of the things you ought to know about me, if you've listened to more than you know one of my sermons or even one of my sermons, I'm not perfect. I sin. I don't want to, but I do. I have, I, I, and sometimes I do. We need to, you know, we, we need to get a hold and, you know, help others learn from our sins so that they can, I hope you don't have to make the same mistakes I did. I hope my grandkids don't. I hope my children don't have to make the same mistakes I did. Help them avoid sin. He says, don't be like the horse and the mule. They have to be guided by very, uh, uh, uncomfortable things to make them turn a bit and bridle. Just take, you know, if, I, I, I think there, there's still, there's still pencils and pens. No? Oh, okay. Well, some of you have a pen. Just take it, shove it back in here just as far as you can. You see, and then you just and it, there's the bit and bridle for you. It's an uncomfortable means, you know. Don't be like that. It says, don't be like that. Don't fight against God. Why would you do that? Don't don't force Him to use uncomfortable means to get your attention. It says, many pains, verse 10, many pains come to the wicked. The longer you wait, the more the more you're going to have to bear yourself, the more it's going to take you to clean it up. When we ignore sin, we only make it worse. We only add to the problem. Stands in dark, stark contrast to the rest of verse 10 and 11. You know, my pain. many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy. All you upright in heart. See, give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. Come to Him with your sin. Come to Him with your sin. And the Lord says, faithful or unfailing love will surround the one who trusted Him. Throughout the, throughout the book of Psalms, that phrase there is used of God's unconditional love, God's covenantal love surrounding you, protecting you, guiding you. Because he is God. That's the picture there. Because he is God. Humble yourself. Praying. Seeking God's face. Turning from your evil ways. Each part of the process of biblical repentance. Of biblical repenting. You know, we take our sin to God. That's confession. We, we turn from our evil ways. There's repentance. Not hiding anything except his face. Honesty. And then he tells us. Then the guilt. The fact. Of that sin, the guilt is gone, removed by God. That's forgiveness. You know, God says when we humble ourselves, pray, seek His face, and turn from our wicked ways, then He will forgive and heal. We're gonna get into that a little bit more next week. Uh, you know, maybe God's been bringing something to your attention on all of this, through all of this, uh, something that you need to deal with. Um, maybe that you need to confess that you need to turn from we're going to bring this to a conclusion by singing a song that's a prayer together you know change my heart oh god it's it's not just a song it's a prayer as the music team leads us in in this you know change my heart oh god sing it sing it as your prayer to god not just as a song we sing but your prayer to him to change you and make you more of you know, the person he wants you to be.